Hey everybody, before this episode begins, I wanted to kind of forewarn you that this episode deals with mature themes. It deals with topics that I believe we really do need to talk about and talk about more. But at the same time, if there are small children that you really wouldn't want them hearing about adult matters, then I recommend you turn this episode off for them. And in some settings, it would be inappropriate to listen to this particular episode. I just wanted to let you know beforehand. Hey there, and welcome to another Coffee Break with Lance Phelps. Today, we're going to be continuing our look at the same-sex controversy by James White. And in today's passage, in today's chapter, we're going to be dealing with 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy. Specifically, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, and 1 Timothy 8, 1, 8 through 10. So let's go ahead and read those passages, and then we will start to dig in and understand the terms that deal with homosexuality, because of course this book is dealing with the uh, objections that we have faced or leveled against the traditional readings of these passages. So I'm going to go ahead and read these passages. Here we go. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then First Timothy chapter 1, 8 through 10. But we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact That the law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching." Okay, so this passage, these two passages are seen as strong indications that homosexuality is sinful by the traditional readings of these passages. The traditional understanding of these passages sees the term homosexual or arsenokoitis that is used in both of these passages. Arsenokoitis is the original Greek that this was written in. And it sees those as clear condemnations of homosexuality as a broad, sweeping term. Just covering all of homosexuality, it's something that is unacceptable. And so those who read this passage just say, well, there it is. Look, it says that this is, it says this that homosexuality is condemned and that it's not something that we can accept within the Christian lifestyle. But then the anti-traditional crowd, the revisionists, come in and try to include homosexuality in the in a, the realm of acceptable behavior. And depends on which revisionist you're talking to, but most will include um, at least monogamous homosexual relationships. And especially if they are faithful, they say, well, that's an example of behavior that Paul 
Paul was not referring to here, and they try to limit the scope of this passage. There's a lot of that, where this is basically, they looks at the term arsenokoitis and says, look, you've, you've uh, throughout the ages, you have translated this wrong to mean all homosexuals, but in fact, Paul was only referring to a small group, to temple prostitutes or to, uh, to, to sort of excess and abusive relationships. So the question then becomes, is the traditional reading an acceptable reading? Or are these just clobber verses illegitimately used by those who are trying to hold to an outdated moral structure? Well, if you dig into what goes behind or what basically the original languages and then the history of Paul, it becomes quite clear that Paul's condemnation of homosexuality is in its totality, not in a just sort of a sliver of homosexuality. So let's dig in a little bit here. You see, the most important factor in this is the term arsenokoitis and how that is to be translated. And of course, we've already established that, but the question then becomes, well, where, why, 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 why has it been translated in that way? Because this passage contains a word that really wasn't found in any other literature. So they can't go to, like, say, the historian Philo, and they can't, the, they can't try to discern, well, he used this term in this way, and he's contemporary to Paul, so naturally we would then understand Paul to be using a similar term, and hopefully he's using it in the same way, and the context might back that up. But in this case, we don't find the term arsenokoitis used in any other literature outside of this one passage. So this is, of course, seen as a very good thing by the revisionists because they feel like, hey, we can just go ahead and make a revision as to what this means. But the problem, of course, is that that does not consider, and none of, as James White points out here, none of the revisionists truly give the the accurate or adequate weight that they should to Paul and the Septuagint. Let me go ahead and read a passage here from James White on this pa- on this point. A fair consideration of the writings and background of the Apostle Paul reveals that he was well-versed in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. It is a fundamental axiom in all scho- scholarly study of Paul that the Septuagint is central in the determination of his sources and vocabulary. Truly, no serious challenge can be raised to this simple fact. So we have to understand the background of Paul. This is crucial to what he meant behind the words arsenokoitis, or really any of his other writings. You see, Paul was a very well-trained, up-and-coming uh, Jewish leader. He was one who was a Jew among Jews. He was the big, he was like one who was moving up in the ranks and he was very well versed in everything Jewish. So he was very well versed in both the Hebraic language and in the Septuagint, which was sort of the popular version. It was like the ESV of the early, uh, you know, church and of the, the late Jewish rabbis. And when Paul is referring to these things, we have to understand the context from which he comes. He comes from this rabbinic tradition. He comes from the Old Testament moral code. And it is quite clear, as we've seen beforehand, and very few revisionists try to uh, argue this point, but it's quite clear that the Old Testament moral code was very condemning of homosexuality. It did not accept it at all in any of its forms. Homosexuality was unacceptable. And this is crucially important to what we're examining 
examining here. Because in Paul's context then, it would have been perfectly understandable if he was speaking to a Jewish culture and if he was coming from a Jewish culture to say, well, homosexuality is sinful and meaning all homosexuality is then sinful. That would be a perfectly understandable thing for him to say and people would understand, well, the Jewish people are against homosexuality, so he must be meaning all homosexuality. His moral code states this. So, since he comes from that moral code, we need to then translate this term from the Old Testament Septuagint in order to really understand what this passage means, and we need to couple that with his with his, you know, the the moral code that he was brought up in, God's word. Now, if Paul goes against a rabbinic teaching of the day, which he certainly does when it comes to are we saved by grace or are we saved through faith? Well, the rabbinic understanding of the day was that we are saved by an adherence to the law coupled with our, uh, their, basically, lineage as being Jews. But Paul spoke out against that erroneous tra- uh, an interpretation of the Old Testament, and he spoke in volumes. He spoke in, in constant writing. He was constantly um, undoing the way that they were misrepresenting and misinterpreting. So he was going against a popular notion of the day. But when Paul doesn't go against a popular notion of the day, or when he doesn't take considerable amount of time to rewrite the mistaken notions of the day, it would be a massive mistake to then assume that he was going against the customs of the day. To say, in for instance, in this case, well, Paul meant this or that. He meant only some homosexuality, or only he meant, uh, you know, temple prostitution here with the term arsenocoitus. That would be a gross error in interpretation because it would be reading our modern context back into Paul's understanding and saying that he basically saw it as we do today, and we saw basically that homosexuality is, it's not sinful as long as it's in this one context, and then reading back into that, into this passage, and interpreting it in that way. But see, the problem with that is that it totally disregards the actual moral and philosophical context that Paul is in, and and Paul himself never spent any time, not a single bit of time, trying to correct erroneous notions around homosexuality. So to assume then that this term arsenocoitus is meaning anything other than a broad sweeping all of homosexuality is completely illegitimate because it just goes against what is he's clearly speaking and that he never actually goes in and tries to clarify that. Now, here's another factor that's extremely important. The Old Testament in Leviticus 20.13 actually reads, Hos and Kaimethe meta arsenos coitin. Now, that's very important because arsenos coitin is male sexual intercourse, and that passage is explicitly condemning of male sexual intercourse. You'll note that those terms are literally right next to each other. So, 
James White notes this about that passage. Note the close connection of arsenos, male, and coiton, to lie with sexually, have intercourse. The term homosexual in 1 Corinthians 6.9 is made up of these two terms, arsenos and coiton, hence arsenocoitus. As a compound word, it is clearly referring to male intercourse. So, the truth of the matter is that Paul is clearly getting this concept directly from the Leviticus prohibition of homosexuality, and there really is no debating the fact that Leviticus was against this, was against homosexuality. It was against it in its entirety. So, we must then adhere to the traditional interpretation of this passage, that Paul is lifting directly out of the holiness code a condemnation of homosexuality is really clear when you go back and you consider Paul's extensive use of the Septuagint and influence by the Septuagint in his wording and language. So I'm going to end on this quote with James White. Sound, healthy, proper Christian teaching will speak the truth regarding these kinds of behaviors. And if any teaching does not do so, it is not truly Christian teaching in the first place. The Apostle Paul communicated clearly to the early church leaders, homosexuality is a violation of God's word. And the Spirit of God recorded this instruction for the benefit of all generations that would follow. That's all I have for you today. Make sure to check out our website, divedeep.net, for more content, including blog posts, book reviews, and video content. If you like this podcast, help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes and Google Play. Also, check out our main episodes of Dive Deep on the podcast feed and stream live on Facebook every other Thursday night at 7 p.m. That's at facebook.com slash divedeeppodcast. We hope to see you there. Soli Deo Gloria.